Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And for the record, I love puppies. All right, everybody. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, November 1st. Ben, happy November. Oh, thank you. Happy November to you. Oh, Thanksgiving. Cool. November's one of my favorite months. Thanksgiving. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. This is a nice little conversation yeah. we're having here. Sure. What are you going to have for Thanksgiving dinner? Turkey. Oh. <laughs> you like stuffing? Love stuffing. All right. Yeah. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for sponsoring this program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. How about pumpkin pie? You like pumpkin pie? No. Mm-mm. Really? I love Apple's Peaches, Pumpkin Pie, a great song oh, from the wow, 60s. Yeah. Apple's Peaches, Pumpkin Pie. You were young and so was I. <laughs> that was like you were 50 in the 60s. <laughs> huh? uh, yeah. The International Brotherhood of Electrical <laughs> Workers, Local 9. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. And of course, today's program is brought to you by the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two. Let's go. Thank goodness it is Friday, November 1st, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, state rep candidate Kid Mahia Beal is back, and it's the long-awaited return of the Illinois political know-it-alls, Jacob Kaplan and Dan Pogoshelsky. And now your host doesn't like pumpkin pie, apparently. Mm-mm. Nope. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Ken Mejia Beal in the studio, 42nd District. Uh, that's DuPage County. I love talking to this guy. He is running in Jeannie Ives' old seat. If he wins, I'll be so happy. I'll do backflips about, uh, about that. If uh, he can get elected in Jeannie Ives' seat, and we'll explain why in a bit. But before we do that, D, you got an update? Absolutely, I do. Uh, right now at ChicagoReader.com, and we're going to post this on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page once the, uh, the show over for today. You're listening to the show right now. Listen to the show, and once you're done, check out the latest column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Oh, I know what this is about. Uh, the latest uh, article is titled The Good Old Tiff Mayonnaise Jar. Uh, ben, yeah. tell us what they'll learn when you the read good this. Good old Tiff Mayonnaise Jar. Yes, indeed, folks. Uh, I wrote this story. This teacher strike was still going on. It was Monday when I wrote this story. And the mayonnaise jar is an allusion uh, to a metaphor that some unnamed, unknown Lori Lightfoot advisor used uh, in an interview, I believe it was with Fran Spielman. It was quoted in the Chicago Sun-Times. And this aide said that we have no more Tiff money to use for our public schools and settle the strike. It's as though we've scraped the mayonnaise jar clean. And I love that illusion. I had to give this person, whoever he or she was, a shout out uh, for what a great literary illusion, a metaphor. And I've always talked about the Tiff, uh, Tiffs in Chicago as a Lush fund. We dedicate more property tax dollars to the TIF program than we have programs to fund. So there's money left over 
hence slush fund. That's why mayors love TIF so much because it's disposable income that they're free to spend virtually any way they want without oversight. And uh, they do with things like dedicate $1.3 billion for uh, Lincoln Yards, $1.1 billion uh, for the 78, whatever they want. They could pretty much do as they please. Remember, they, they dipped into the slush fund a couple hundred thousand dollars to fix up the mayor's office. Ah, yeah, we knew we need new paint or rugs or whatever. Let's go to the TIF slush fund and uh, or the mayonnaise jar. And so I was pointing out the relationship, the connection between the TIF program and the public schools and how the money represents a, effectively a diversion of income from the public schools. And so that if we're really serious about making a commitment to funding education uh, in the city of Chicago, we've got to look at the impact the TIF program has on our schools. And it's funny, both newspapers today in their editorial harumphing over what went down with the end of the teacher strike did not mention the TIFs. Isn't that interesting, Dave? You know why? Because they want to pretend it doesn't exist because it's money that's largely dedicated to funding uh, big-time corporate Chicago back projects. And so uh, that's my take on TIFFs, and that's what that column's all about. And by the way, we'll give 20 bucks to any listener who tries a mayonnaise slush. That'd be <laughs> gross, wouldn't it? Tommy Tresser was in the studio. When was it? Tuesday? Yeah, it was a Tuesday, and he is a a a TIFF crusader, and he brought a mayonnaise jar, Hellman's mayonnaise, and he actually dumped the dentist, was so worried he was going to get the mayonnaise on our beautiful, what is this? What material is this? These little covers we have here? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, but he didn't. All right. Young Thomas Thank was God. very careful not to get the mayonnaise. And he was a very polite guest. I thought he was just going to leave the plate of mayonnaise on the table. Like, All right. Bye, guys. Like, yeah. okay, dude, you left your mayonnaise. No. Grab the mayonnaise. Took it. Don't know where he put it. Maybe back in the jar. Maybe he was going to go do the mayonnaise uh, bit I, again later. I think he just is making the rounds of the media, <laughs> just doing that mayonnaise gag. Just taking the same thing of mayonnaise yeah. and putting it back in. So he's with Flannery right now. Ah! I didn't know that. Your Flannery is top notch, buddy. Dennis. Um, and also, so go check out that Chicago Reader article. Like I said, we're going to post it on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page after today's show, all right? You got a show to listen to here. Yes. We're going to post it on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, at Benny J Show, chicagoreader.com. And also, it's November 1st, which means... First Tuesday is right around the corner. It's a very special First Tuesday because, well, uh, Mick uh, Dumkey, Ben's former co-host, uh, has gone on. Yeah. And, uh, well, it sounds like he passed away or something. No, no he, he said, just, I had enough of this. Okay, you said it, not me. And uh, I couldn't say that, but you could. He's like, God, you have to deal with Ben every month? Oh, I can't do it again. Now I deal with him every day, all right? And uh, his new co-host, Maya Duke-Masova, Chicago Reader. And they got a very special guest uh, this Tuesday, Stacey Davis-Gates, Vice President of the Chicago Teachers Union. She's going to be uh, very candid, as she always <laughs> yeah. is. All right? And she's going to be... Uh, uh, the month that was, or the few weeks that was, in the Chicago teacher strike. So, first Tuesday, remember, November 5th, this Tuesday, 1354 West Wabanzia, starts at 6.30 p.m. Hang out with like-minded political junkies, and check out First Tuesdays with Maya Dukmasova, Ben Jarofsky, and Stacey Davis. And Dr. D will be there signing autographs. Okay. And, uh, so, it'll be a great show. A show. I right. will be there, not signing autographs. And... Not a doctor. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, Ken Mejia Beal, he's running for state rep in the 42nd District. Ken, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. And uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show. All right, uh, I have taken great delight in your campaign, as you know, and we're going to break it down and to show why I take great delight. Uh, so I'll start with the headlines. Uh, you're an openly gay black man from the southwest side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. 
and look at you know, your background a little bit, and you're running to, uh, in the district that once was represented by Jeannie Ives, who is about as far to the right as you can get in Illinois politics without falling off the earth. That's correct. And, uh, thank you, Robert <laughs> Mueller. Uh, and if you are victorious in the, uh, the 42nd district, that will be a sign that wonderful things are happening, at least in DuPage County. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I um, am so enthusiastic about your campaign. Thank All you. right. Let's talk one more time. Remind folks, uh, tell just a little background on you, how you got to the 42nd District. You didn't start there. No. Uh, that's the sort of the end of your journey. Yeah. So I moved, I moved uh, to the 42nd about a decade ago. I was 24. Mm -hmm. I moved there for work and I, I love where I live. So I stayed there and in the last 10 years, I've become very active in the community. I've worked on healthcare issues, uh, environmental issues, actually going into the community, talking to people and seeing what they need. I go to Springfield, I talk to state reps, state senators, and I try to get stuff done. That's why I'm running. Um, because for far too long, especially, you know, in DuPage, we have a very partisan system where, you know, Democrats win and we only work with, within our own silo. And Republicans win and we only work within the silo. What we need is someone that says, okay, I'm a Democrat, but it's my job to represent everyone and to do it fairly and equitably. So that's why I'm running. Now, there, uh, have you ever been involved in DuPage politics before this? This is your yeah, first I'm the I'm the former program director for the Democratic Party at DuPage County. So you have a little sense of the development of Democrats. And Democratic DuPage, mm -hmm. is a Democratic DuPage politically, ideologically on the same page as, let's say, one in Chicago? What are some of the differences? So this is the biggest difference. The biggest difference is within DuPage, we have a lot of different um, factions of Democrats. Um, you do have the more centrist Democrats. You have, you know, especially a lot of the far left, you have more progressive. It's a combination. Um, there's not just a stamp for who is a Democrat and who isn't. So it's a different way of navigating. As someone that, you know, was originally from Chicago, there is a difference between a, you know, South Side Chicago Democrat and a typical DuPage Democrat in that a typical DuPage Democrat doesn't exist. We come in different sizes and different ideas. But what's happening in DuPage and what I'm really excited about is we take those ideas, we try our best to work together, um, and we, we try not to do the purity test. Um, I'm against the purity test, and I, I'm happy to be amongst people that can say, okay, I might not agree with you in this area, but let's talk about and work on what we can agree on. Because the one thing I think we forget as a Democratic Party is when we do the purity test, we allow people that are not going to even invite us to the table to make the decisions. I would rather work with someone that we slightly disagree on a few things, but I know I can come to them and work on those issues a little bit later. Mm -hmm. All right, you talk about the purity test. Yeah. What are, are there some issues that to you just are sacrosanct that you cannot compromise on uh, that are effectively purity tested? Yeah, so I am, I am very, Openly, for example, I believe that um, a woman's right to choose, for example, that to me is a medical decision that's made between a woman and her doctor. And I believe that, as just as the Supreme Court believes, that it's legal. There are people that, have, that completely disagree with that. Some of those people happen to be Democrats, and they disagree with it on religious reasons. 
I don't, I'm not going to bend on that. That is where I stand on that. So instead of me trying to beat them over the head to let them, make them know, this is where I stand and I need you to stand with me. I say, okay, I'm not going to change my mind here. You're not going to change your mind. What else can we work on together? Mm. And I think if we do more of that, we can accomplish more. Well, you are running uh, in a situation where you you almost have to uh, espouse uh, that attitude Mm -hmm. uh, because it's not the bubble. See, I'm so used to the bubble. Yeah. Uh, Not just literally this little room I'm in that's (laughs) like a bubble, but uh, the bubble of Chicago politics. Now, we have in the city of Chicago, you know this, because you're originally from the southwest side of Chicago, Mm -hmm. Pride and Joy Kennedy High School. Yep. Uh, You know that there's divisions even in Chicago, like this recent teacher strike. Absolutely. There were some bitter divisions uh, in in the city between some people who supported Lori and the people uh, who supported the teachers. So it's not as though we don't have our own variation of this purity. Correct. Uh, But in the suburbs, it's it's like a real deal because no matter what you say uh, uh, to on shows like mine or to other reporters, they're going to label you like you're the second coming of Attila the Hunt. Mm. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. They're going to say all these me. I mean, you're saying all the right things, to, uh, like Lauren Underwood did, for instance. But mm-hmm. they're going to make they're going to try to scare the people of Forty Second Ward, Forty uh, Second Ward, Forty Second District about you. Yeah, I mean, because I'm an incredibly scary person. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm smart. I'm articulate. I can form a sentence, and I have ideas. You're scaring put, the crap out of me with all yeah. this. <laughs> and I, I I can I can actually pass policy that can help the community. Um, and if that if those things scare you, then you know I don't apologize. I, I've never been someone to apologize for being smart or articulate or successful. And if that scares people, I think it says more about you than it does about me. I, I just mentioned Lauren Underwood. Yeah. Uh, what are you thinking of how she's handled her position since she got, what, she took office in... 2017, January. Uh, no, 19, January. Anyway, uh, she just took Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. We've lost track of time. So how do you think she's doing? Is she a role model for you? You know, I just, I was just with her uh, Saturday night. I think she's a great role model, not just for me, but for everyone. She is an example of someone that, against all odds, still ran and won. Um, And every time you see her, she is so happy um, and proud and is fighting so hard for her district. Mm -hmm. And that says a lot, um, because sometimes in politics, when you beat someone up a lot over the course of a year or so, you can start to see that they're tired. And Congresswoman Underwood is not tired. She's just getting started, and um, I think that's that's the role model. Uh, Lauren Underwood is uh, was elected last November. Mm-hmm. It was an upset win. Yeah, she'd won in a district uh, that had been Republican for years. And one of the things she articulated all the time uh, in that race, Ken, was that she is from the district, that she is from Naperville. That's where right. she was raised and born. You have you're from Chicago, so how are you dealing with the fact that you're not? literally from DuPage and go to DuPage High School. Well, I think, so that hasn't come up too often, but I'm going to say this. Um, If if we have to start um, discounting folks for moving, I literally moved a little bit over 20 miles from where I originally lived. 
it's not like I moved from a different state. <laughs> I'm not from a different country. Yeah. I'm from 22.8 miles away from where I started. Um, there's not that big of a difference. At the end of the day, I chose to live in DuPage. And that's what makes it different for me. There are a lot of folks, and I don't, it's not a dig, that live, they're born, live, and die in the same place. I was born in Chicago. I chose to live in DuPage, and I actively am active in the community, and I choose to represent the folks of DuPage. That says a lot about who I am and where my heart and values are. All right. Now, again, the 42nd district mm-hmm. that was represented uh, for years by Jeannie Ives. Jeannie Ives is so conservative that uh, she ran against Bruce Rauner because she thought he wasn't conservative enough. There's mm-hmm. a little madness in the Republican Party. Uh, and she probably helped defeat Bruce Rauner, at least uh, it caused turmoil among the Republicans. So uh, What's it like going door to door in your district where they once voted for It Well, it was awesome. Um, You know, I will say this. I get to doors and there are some people that open the door and they say, I am not voting for a Democrat. Please get off of my property. And for me, and this is where being a person of color comes in handy, I think. I have always been raised to expect the worst in humanity if you're not prepared for it. And by that, I mean, I was not, I was raised by folks from Arkansas that were brought up up during a lot of civil rights turmoil. So I don't go to doors expecting people to be warm and fuzzy. And when they are, it makes me so happy. And it's a testament to where we've come as a country. But I am not someone that has blinders on and assume that I'm welcome everywhere. So I've never jarred. I'm never caught off guard by someone that's a little bit rude. It's, I mean, it's what my grandfather raised me to be prepared for as a black man in America, um, that everyone is not always going to be nice to you, regardless of how smart you are or how nice you are. Some people are just going to look at you and feel angry and hatred towards you. You have to be prepared for that, because if you're not, you go into the world and you are sensitive and you're broken and i wouldn't have made it this far if i didn't have that about myself has anybody ever slammed the door in your face oh absolutely um i mean yeah stuff i mean it's it's a a door stuff happens some um someone threatened to get their dog um that happened once um you know i i get yelled at um some people call the police um it happens But at the end of the day, it doesn't happen that often. Mm -hmm. And 99% of my visits at the door are awesome, even when they don't sign. They don't want to vote for a Democrat. They still listen, and they still show respect. The experience that I've, the the negative ones, are so few and far between um, that they are not even in my front mental right now. What I get happens a lot at the door for me are people that are positive, people that are open, people that are excited that I'm there. Um, and even when they're not, they're still respectful. And I've had so many, especially Republicans, that say, I'm not going to vote for you, but I appreciate that you're at my door. And that means a lot. Uh, the person that called the cops on you? I mean, it happens. It happens. It's happened twice. 
But you have to re- remember, so when I say it has happened twice, I've been knocking doors consecutively since um, August 3rd. It is now November 1st. I have taken one day off. That was October 19th. Is the only day that I have not gone knocking doors. What was October 19th? I can't remember what October 19th October 19th, it was the day that Madonna came to Chicago. And I took the day off. <laughs> what? I'm surprised I didn't take the day so off. I took the day off. So keep that in mind. Wait, come on. Did you go to the concert? Yeah, I did. VIP section. How come you got tickets and I didn't get I tickets? Mean, <laughs> How come you never told me you loved Madonna so much? I'll be honest with you guys. Stacey Davis. I'm going to be honest with you, Dennis. Not a big Madonna fan. I liked the one movie, uh, League of Their Own. Have you ever seen that It's movie? a great movie. Yeah. And uh, I like the fact that she stands up to Trump a lot. I like that. There was a lot of that on October 19th. Top Madonna song. What is it right now? Well, Love Tried to Welcome Me. Uh, Bedtime Stories, 1994, track number 11. Dang. Whoa. I could see young Kenneth listening to Madonna back in the day. Southwest side. Whoa, I love Madonna. What is it about Madonna that you like so much? So growing up, I did I thought I was I knew I was different. And I didn't know what was different about me. When you grow up, so as a person of color, I grew up in a house filled with other people of color in an African American house. So we had that. But there was always something that I knew I was not like everyone else in my house. And I didn't know what it was. And I remember being maybe six or seven years old. And I didn't know what it was. And I uh, stayed up really late one night. And I watched um, HBO's Madonna's Truth or Dare. And I saw people that I knew I was not like. How old were you? Uh, maybe five or six. Dang, okay, um, that young. Yeah, I got in a lot of trouble How old for are you that. now? 34. Okay, you're so um, young. <laughs> got in a lot of trouble. But I, I knew that there was something there, um, that there were people like me around this person. So even when you were five, you just had a sense. I didn't know what it was, though. Um, I will tell you, my first Madonna concert was in 2001, and I was, I get there, and I was terrified, because I was there, and there were a lot of uh, other gay men there, and um, I did not realize that Madonna was like a gay thing, because it, I just didn't know what it was, so it was a little bit scary and shocking for me. Where was this? Where was the concert? United Center, uh, 2001. And so I was like 15. Yeah. Very young, yeah. <laughs> and uh, what did your par- your parents say? Like, were they surprised that you like Madonna? No, my parents have always been very. I mean, I grew up in a house where it was a lot of funk music, a lot of Prince, a lot of Tina Marie. Um, you know, my dad was a disco DJ back in the day, um, so I grew up around a very eclectic musical taste. So none of the musical selections um, were. Shocking. You know, I'm going to throw this at you. Sure. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question, but would you listen to you talk and tell your story, which yeah. I've, uh, I'm moved by a lot because I'm not a huge Madonna fan, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of like her attitude. I respect her attitude and the mm-hmm. fact that she she just, just kicked ass in her industry. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And so I really respect her for that. And I really like Desperate Seeking Susan, which is a movie that was, came out before you were born. It's a great movie. It, 
give you credit for having seen a movie <laughs> before you were born. Um, but one of the things that's been uh, that emerged over the last week, Mayor Pete's campaign, Mayor mm-hmm. Pete running for uh, president of the United States from South Bend, Mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a story released. Focus uh, a poll showed uh, what do they call them? focus groups uh, that uh, black voters in the South were a little apprehensive about him because he's openly gay. Mm-hmm. And I didn't believe that. I, I'm just telling you this is what I said. I believe it. Yes. Okay, explain why you. Uh, because I, I'm, my family's from Arkansas and Louisiana, uh, Southern Baptist, and, and I believe it. I believe that. Um, I believe that there is a lot of misunderstanding about um, sexuality, period. I'm not gonna say homosexuality, sexuality, period, within the black community. I believe there's a source of shame that is put on especially African-Americans when discussing sexuality. So when you move into the realm of uh, different kinds of sexuality, it becomes even more taboo um, based on Varying, there's varying factors uh, based on is, is socioeconomic, is education, is is a lot of different, uh, you know, religion. It'll, it's a lot that plays into that. So I'm not surprised that um, a lot of uh, black voters are a little bit apprehensive about voting for Mayor Pete, um, be simply because he is openly gay. Um, I, I think is is I am happy that those people were honest enough to be open with it. Well, one thing I have discovered mm-hmm. in uh, in my l- life uh, is that uh, on this particular issue, mm-hmm. uh, I'm speaking about black men are are feel freer to be openly to uh, in politically incorrect. I'm, I'm trying. Yep. I am. I'm dressing this up as best as I can. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but I believe, based on my experiences, that push comes to shove. Black voters in this country, if given a choice between, let's say, Democratic candidate Mayor Pete, Mm -hmm. openly gay, Mm -hmm. and Donald John Trump, openly not gay, overwhelming, overwhelming number of black voters will go with Mayor Pete. And all the, whatever trash talk, what uh, uh, Bob Diver calls tavern talk, at a bar, mm-hmm. uh, out the window. I bet Mayor Pete would get 98% of the black vote. I disagree with you. Um, I believe that there's a large amount of black voters that would just opt to stay home. I'm not saying they would vote for President Trump. I'm saying they would just not vote. Well, I don't think we'll get a chance to uh settle this debate because I don't think Mayor Pete's going to get the nomination. So we'll just have to leave it there. But I would love to make this bet. And then at a restaurant of your choice in uh, the 42nd district, and then you would have to pay. I mean, me. I'm, a, I'm a simple guy. We can go to Red Lobster, get some biscuits. <laughs> uh, Sam Adams. Uh, that sounds like, well, let's just do that anyway. <laughs> we don't need the bet. Uh, and uh, all right. So you're running in the 42nd district. Yes. Uh, and you're up against uh, Amy Grant. Mm-hmm. She's the incumbent. Uh, yeah. She was ushered in. Uh, what would you tell folks in the 42nd District why they should vote for you over Amy Grant? Because I'm, I'm going to represent people. Um, I believe that Representative Grant is very partisan. She votes along the lines of the party, regardless of the views of the district. 
um, there might be moments where the Democratic Party says, well, this is where we're going. And I have to say, well, this is not what my district needs right now or my district wants. I have to vote along the lines of my district. And I think if we had more reps, more senators all over the country that did that, we wouldn't have the partisan mess that we have now. And we probably have a lot more people that actually believe the words that come out of politicians' mouth. Uh, right now, as we speak, uh, here's the front page of today's New York Times. I'll be talking about this at greater length with uh, Jacob and Young Daniel, who have entered the studio. Uh, fractured House backs impeachment inquiry. And this really gets to the heart, Ken, of what you're facing. Mm -hmm. uh, it, uh, the vote was 232 to 196 to approve rules for an impeachment procedure, long overdue, in my humble opinion. Uh, all but two Democratic congressmen voted uh, for to, to begin the impeachment process. Zero, as in no, okay, Republicans uh, voted uh, for it. And uh, there were two Democrats from swing districts who voted uh, with the Republicans on the mm -hmm. grounds. Well, they're worried, obviously, that they get booted from office. Correct. Uh, so what's your take? If you were a congressman, how would you have voted yesterday? So I, it's, for me, it's no question I would have voted for the inquiry because I think the, what gets lost is voting on whether you think we need to look into this. Did something happen? Um, let's, is that's what we're voting on? Yes, I, I do believe we should take a look at it. I do believe there's enough circumstantial evidence that we should all have our eyes open to it. All right, very good. Lauren Underwood, I should uh, underscore, did vote for with the Democrats on yeah. that one. So, uh, yeah. Uh, all right, very good. His name, uh, Ken, do you want to give a website out or any information if folks want to oh. jump aboard? So, KMB42.com, uh, that's my handle on Twitter and uh, Facebook. I'm having a party at Sidetrack on November 13th. Uh, Comptroller Mendoza is going to stop by. We are going to have a couple other people stop by, hopefully. But um, if you're in the neighborhood, stop by. Sidetrack being on Halstead. 3340-something North Halstead. Okay, that's good enough. That'll get you there. <laughs> He's got one of the catchiest campaign slogans in Illinois. Yes, yes we, we can. can. <laughs> yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, absolutely. we can. And I'm not going to call you Kenny B anymore. I'm going to call you KMB. Uh, I'm KMB, like, that works. KMB, but I do like Kenny B. Uh, <laughs> Ken Mejia Beal is his name. He's running in the 42nd Legislative District out in DuPage County. That's uh, Jeannie Ives' old district. And I'm really rooting for you, young man. So well, thank uh, best you. of luck to you, all right? Thank you. All right, we've got uh, the two political wizards they call the know-it-all sitting on deck. They can't wait to take the deep dive. We got Louis Arroyo talk. We got impeachment talk. We've got all kind of political talk with Jacob Kaplan and Danny Pogoshelsky. We'll bring them on when we return. Yes, we had to like strike for 10 days. Yes, it was very, it was, a, it was very much a sacrifice um, for our members. Our members sacrificed six days of pay to put cla enforceable class size limits into our collective bargaining agreement to make sure that there's a nurse and a social worker in every school every single day. They, they sacrifice six days of pay. You shouldn't sacrifice six, day, six days of pay for something so transformative and monumental. What we should be doing in this moment is expanding the public sector. So what you're going to do is turn your t attention to that agenda, right? That you're is going the to agenda, push, though, You're going to push the mayor to 
to change the way she funds city government and well, we're gonna i mean one thing we're gonna do is we're gonna run a, tr- a union and partly what that means is that we've achieved a new contract and our members need to feel that when they walk back into their buildings so while it is important what's happening in the city we feel the effect of what's happening in the city in a very concrete way in the classrooms and in the faculty rooms of schools. So the first thing that our union has to do is make sure that when our members walk back into their buildings with a new agreement, and and by the way, that agreement has not been ratified yet by our members. People have to vote. Yeah, let's talk about that. Is that a a touch and go thing? I mean, is that possible that we would see this rejected? Because it was close in the House of Delegates. I'll get to that in a second, but I I just want to finish this point that I, I was making. He's running a G. Take care, Ken. Thank you, man. Thank you. For the love of God, guys, sit down. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes. Live from the Chicago Sun Times. We are live from the Chicago Sun Times. Young Daniel, Danny Pozieszelski, uh, knows all about Facebook, and he's always telling me I have to do more Facebook stuff. I've got a lot of conflicting attitudes toward Facebook these days. I, that was not on the cheat sheet to talk about, but I think I may throw yeah. that at you. Uh, I'm writing that down, Facebook. The ads. Yes, the ads. And I don't know if you had an opportunity. Twitter's holier than thou. Oh, we aren't going to take any Facebook. Facebook advertising will give Donald Trump all the ads for free. Wow, that's an interesting. Um, uh, that is an interesting interpretation how it went uh, down, Danny uh, Pogoshelsky. Uh, but today's New York Times has an open letter to Mark Zuckerberg by Aaron Sorkin, and Aaron Sorkin is the uh, great writer. Uh, the West Wing. Uh, yes. Yes, West Wing. And One he of also the inspirations, wrote, Hal Jacob, and quite a few other of our friends, I would say, on the Democratic side, got into you, politics. Yeah. Oh. I've, oh. I've heard people over and over again. Um, that would talk about that you know, their segue into politics as a little kid. It's like, oh my God, I, mm-hmm. West Wing. You know, I've had you've I've known you guys forever. You've been on every show I've had every month that I've had a show since the beginning. Since yeah. the beginning, got fired, <laughs> put it on hold, yeah. brought him back. Literally, I think he was on the first day of the show. He Literally, was yeah, that's first Kaplan. day. Jacob Kaplan, Jacob yeah. Kaplan yeah, with an remote. update. He yeah. called in a remote from uh, from <laughs> Alabama, right? Is that oh, no, Mississippi? No, 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 no. There was no, a no. different time. Oh, you're getting them all confused. Yeah, you're getting all confused. <laughs> Way too uh, much marijuana as a young man. All right? <laughs> it's gonna be legal. It's gonna be legal, bro. No need to. No need to shame me now. No, the first show I ever did. Uh, back in the day, had the following guests. It was a Monday, Monroe Anderson. That's correct. Uh, <laughs> Karen Jennings Lewis. Correct. She's my absolute favorite. Everybody knows I love Karen. Uh, and a young Jacob. And That's correct. You, That's right. You called in with a report, as I remember, correct me if I'm wrong. It, oh, God, time has passed. The Democratic candidates for governor. Uh, had met before the slate makers of the Cook County Democratic Party and your executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party. And you were our reporter on the scene. And you told me about how JB did, how Chris Kennedy did. Uh, and you were the one. How your guy Bob Diber Bob did. Diber, man. Absolutely. That's like yes. the, wait, <laughs> You know how to tug What about John about Marshall? Uh, the not three John Marshall. Was it? It's not John. John Marshall. Yeah, it's John Marshall. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the three state solution. Yeah, no, we had yeah. him on the show. We, yeah. we had him all on. Yeah. Uh, Are you going to have him now that he's going to be an independent? 
Oh, is he running? I did not know that. Supposedly. Supposedly. Uh, for governor? Uh, yeah. I mean, for, for senator? For senator. Oh, my God. He's going to split the vote. With Willie Wilson. Who the independent's going to go for? I got Willie. I got Marshall. I'm going to divide the state in three, all right? Um, but, yeah, I I don't know if Marshall was at the slate-making session. I know. I think he was. The big deal was Chris Kennedy, as I recall. He blasted us. Blasted us. This is the <laughs> yeah. son of Robert Kennedy. Yeah. The nephew of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Yep. Wait, are you telling me that someone involved in politics took a hypocritical tack? Well, I don't know if it was hypocritical. Oh, wait, can, wait, we need to go to the Sun-Times right now and let them know something that's never happened in the history of the world, hypocrisy in politics. I, okay, the word hypocrisy was used by Dan. I did not say it was hypocritical. I was just saying a little inconsistent that he's the nephew. You sound like a politician. Well, yeah, I've been around him a long time. Uh, he's a little inconsistent. He may run for mayor. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with me running Fraud for risk mayor. just popped up on Jacob's phone, so I don't know yeah, how don't close know what's worthy of what you're saying. What is that, by the way? I get those all the time. I don't I mean, answer them because it says fraud risk. Fraud risk. I have no idea what that means. I'm not going to answer uh, I get them Tim all. Tim Cook, can you tell us right now? Uh, Give us yeah. a white paper on this? But anyway, so I just thought it was a little... But on the other hand, I applauded Chris Kennedy. I'm not going to let this go without uh, passing. I'm not going to let this go without saying uh, Chris Kennedy made perhaps the greatest contribution in that primary, in my humble opinion, by calling out the city of Chicago, Mayor Rahm in particular, for their planning uh, decisions that resulted in so many people being moved out of the city because they couldn't afford the city. He was very specific. He said black people, but I also feel that uh, larger gentrification issues and that middle class people and poor people have been priced out of the city. So I give him credit for that. Okay. I couldn't understand why he would attack the Democratic Party that did so much for his family, Jacob Kaplan. Okay. But I do give him credit for uh, taking that time. Fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, so Jacob Kaplan's been coming on the show all this time, but I never knew how you guys got involved in politics. Let me ask you that. You were young Jacob Kaplan. You're growing up on the northwest side of Chicago. North side back then, Rogers Park. That I sit corrected. Yeah. Uh, And attending Stone Elementary. Yep. You, you remember that. <laughs> and uh, later, Whitney Young High School, you were a dolphin. Yes. You and Michelle Obama. That's right. So how'd you get involved in politics? Uh, well, I think part of my interest in politics did come from watching the West Wing as a kid, honestly. Um, but one of the first campaigns I, uh, on a, that I volunteered on was Obama's 08 uh, presidential race. I just got inspired by him. I First time I ever knocked on doors was in Iowa City, Iowa. Uh, right on the like October of 2008, uh, right before the uh, general election, I, I was like, "Where can I help?" Went online. They're like, "Come to Iowa City because we need to win Iowa." Drove out there with a friend of mine, and we knocked on doors in, uh, in Iowa City for Obama. You was- were in Iowa City. Would yep. you remember when it was? Roughly what time? This of year? would have been October of 2008. Believe it or not, my oldest daughter would have been the one who gave you your in the office. She nice. worked in the office, and uh, my oldest daughter got inspired by Obama as well. Nice. Uh, now, have you ever had any regrets? Jimmy Dore, uh, who D- Dennis and I are fans of Jimmy Dore. He's a to the far left podcaster, uh, and was has been very critical of Obama uh, for being too much of a centrist. Do you ever have impulses like that, Jacob, or do you think? Oh, Barack Obama has a strong legacy. I think he has a strong legacy, but I have disagreements with how he went about certain things. I do think that it was a tactical error to go with uh, 
you know, the Affordable Care Act first and not uh, not make a larger stimulus and do the Employee Free Choice Act for unions, do some other things before tackling the third rail of politics, health care. So not that that wasn't important, not that the Affordable Care Act is not an incredible piece of legislation, but I just think some of the tactics, I think he, he uh, underestimated the Republican resistance. And, but there would have been resistance, I'm going to defend Obama, there would have yeah. been a resistance to all three things you just cited, or two, what were the two things you cited? The uh, larger stimulus and uh, Employee Free Choice Act. You know, uh, increasing uh, collective check. bargaining rights for for unions. And and on that note, mm-hmm. just to, to as soon as the Republicans got back in power, sure it was on the state level, but what you saw is they went after the unions. First thing they did. Oh my goodness! And so the fact that we didn't try to help them beforehand, uh, that's that's part of that's an unfortunate part of Obama's what legacy. Would it, go back in history and help people out. The employee. Free Choice Act. What would that have done? That would have made it much easier. So currently, if you want to unionize your place of work, you have to uh, essentially uh, do it in public and uh, hold a public election uh, with that. And the process, it's, I can't go into all the details, but it allows for a lot of uh, coercion by the employer, you know, and a lot of scare tactics and things like that. Employee Free Choice Act would allow employees to do what's called card check, which is that each of them could sign a union card independently, not have the vote be public, and everyone on their own signs a card says, I want to be part of a union. Then you turn everything in. It's verified by the, uh, you know, by the uh, the overseeing body, and if it's if it's uh, good, then you begin the process of uh, unionizing and 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 contract negotiations, things like that. It just makes it a lot easier yeah, to unionize without. Yeah, there's. But the point is, it would just stop the idea that anytime anybody in a place of work thinks about unionizing, oftentimes, you know, all sorts of stuff goes on well, to discourage that. And, so, and, and, and this is where I'd like to bring up. So I, I was a union organizer at one time for United Food and Commercial Workers Union. And um, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking when you're a union organizer to see at how effective corporations now are in being able to not have a union. This is not just, even even in the situation where you win, where the company should be having good faith negotiations with you, in practice, they're able to run out the clock, and even when you win, they can make you lose. And so I think that's something where people really aren't aware of. I was never aware of this, the difficulties that you have in trying to organize uh, unions until I was part of campaigns and it almost seemed like an exercise in it was a cha- it was a, such a challenge that sometimes it seemed like an exercise in futility because the deck was so stacked against you mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons so myself and Jacob one of the first things that, that we did in politics together was that we both worked for United Food Commercial Workers this kid worked at Jewel I worked at Dominic's um, and so right? for me mm-hmm. yeah. they would pull me out of the store because I spoke Polish and they'd ask me, would you want to go and you know help us organize? And it was great. I Meatpacking plants, meat right? Meatpacking plants, thank you, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, it was great. Um, so in my own life, I would actually have this kind of fork in the road because um, at the same time when I was kind of looking at like, hey, I should kind of get more involved with, with local politics here, there was an offer from my union like, hey, dude, you're so good, you're passionate. Why don't you go uh, with organizing, uh, go across the country, uh, the anti-Walmart campaign mm-hmm. that was that was going to be going on. And there was an allure to that, you know, kind of listen to, to Bruce Springsteen, you know, kind of fight the good fight, you know, um, traveling the country. Um, and I didn't take that route. I ended up staying here. <laughs> that was before I met Jacob. 
Um, but instead, what we ended up doing in 2010 is that our union allowed us to be part of the AFL-CIO's effort against um, Mark Kirk, and it was for uh, against Mark Kirk and Bill Brady. So we were working on behalf of Alexi Janulius as well as Pat Quinn. Pat Quinn in 2010. And so we would go and we actually got to meet a lot of really cool labor folks. And we were kind of outliers already because, you know, unfortunately you have where not met, not enough people that are benefit from labor know its benefits. And so whether it was where Jacob worked at Jewel or myself at Dominic's, we were both like, man, the union is great. Like, this is such a good thing. But a lot of people that were our age weren't aware of it. They're just like, oh man, they take my 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 dues out. But for example, while I worked at Dominic's, you know, when you're talking about the retail industry, mm -hmm. for a long time, I didn't have to contribute anything for my health insurance, even though I was working part-time. I mean, the benefits were just amazing. And so it gave us an opportunity to talk to a lot of folks that were in labor, whether it was, uh, you know, the machinists and other unions kind of hearing how things used to be. Well, when you talk about uh, the difficulties of organizing, uh, forming a union, I, I believe, and I'm going to put this out here, you both of you are free to disagree with me, but I believe that so much of the rhetoric employed in this recent teacher strike, especially from the Chicago Tribune, is just anti-union. It's oh, yeah. more mm -hmm. of that Bruce Rauner stuff that yeah. they want to eradicate union. They always they hate the teachers union because the teachers union say what you will, they don't they're not pussyfooting around. No. Stacey Davis Gates is just telling it like she sees it and she comes on strong and they're unabashedly for, they're like Bernie Sanders and they're just unabashedly for these left of center uh, democratic values that so many Democrats have and they, they're not ashamed of them. Uh, they're not always successful. I think in many ways that the, the contract that they signed yesterday uh, didn't go as far as it, or didn't sign it. They, they cut a deal. They didn't sign mm -hmm. it yet. Yeah, it has to be approved. Um, but it was put in writing. It was put <laughs> in writing. So, but they're like trying to force this city to recognize its own democratic values. We're the most democratic city in the country. One of the most, 85% in election after election, Jacob Kaplan, for whoever the democratic nominee is, be it John Kerry, Hillary Clinton, Barack Hussein Obama, whoever it is yep. they're for that person and so but our city is run in so many ways like it's been moderate republicans or romney and part of the rhetoric i believe the anger of the tribune toward the teachers is because their attitude is how dare that union try to tell us how we run this city yep. that's my opinion what do you think i agree i don't i don't think the tribune's changed much in that position since colonel mccormick's time i mean yeah. it's uh, they've always been an anti-union paper and their editorial board uh, uh plays that, that reflects that so uh but i do I, I do agree with the fact that i mean ctu is one of the few uh unions in this day and age especially public sector unions that is just you know they're unabashed about fighting for their members but also fighting for wider social justice issues for the entire city and community. And that's something that organized labor used to be on the forefront of. I mean, you go back to the uh, civil rights era, you know, mm -hmm. the UAW and uh, Walter Ruther was on the front lines of yeah. the uh, fight for civil rights among a lot of public sector unions and things like that. He went down and marched with sanitation workers in Memphis and other places. So I think this idea that it's not just about fighting for your own members, but also fighting in general for, for everybody and every one of the working class, I think CTU still embodies that notion mm -hmm. of labor. And uh, 
I think that's I think that's great, honestly. All right, now I couldn't agree more. All right, you uh, both of you, your uh, Jacob is the executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party. Young Daniel uh, works for the treasurer. Whatever he says does not speak for. I do this little Vante when he comes on. Whatever he says does not represent the treasurer. All right, everybody's <laughs> it's Pogoshelsky's opinions. Uh, that said, here's the question for you: We we had uh, this fight was uh, between the Democratic Party, this teacher strike, Lord. Lightfoot is a Democrat, the mayor of the city of Chicago, mm -hmm. and uh, Stacey Davis-Gates, the leader of the Chicago Teachers Union, Jesse Sharkey. They're Democrats. At least Stacey is very much a Democrat. Uh, her brother, uh, Henry Davis, a good friend of this show, is a uh, councilman in South Bend, Indiana, and runs as a Democrat. So this is a fight among Democrats. So how does the Democratic Party deal with the, a union battle like this? Well, I mean, I think we... We always try to be good with uh, organized labor. We've always had a great relationship with CTU. I mean, last year we honored, uh, you know, Karen Lewis at our annual uh, uh, party fundraiser, gave her the uh, Ed Sedlowski Labor Award, named after Sue Sedlowski Garza's uh, father, who recently passed away. So we try to maintain a good relationship with organized labor, whether it's, you know, unions like CTU, whether it's the trades. So, I mean, we're in this position, uh, you know, obviously everyone tried to get the uh, the party and... Chair Preckwinkle dragged into the fight because of the fact that, uh, you know, she was just in a mayor's race with Lori and they tried to make it, including some in the media, into this fight between the two. And CTU was just angry because they didn't win the mayor's race. But at the end of the day, and this is what Tony said, it's like, you know, the teachers, you know, have, have a great case to make there. And uh, it's all about what's best for the city and, and CTU and the city need to come together and make a deal and put it in writing, honestly. And that's what they ended up doing. So I think, uh, you know, no matter what, the Democratic Party, we have to support organized labor at all levels, and that's what we've been doing, and that's what we'll continue to do. I, I would like to point out that it's not just a fight within the Democratic Party. There's two other fights that you really need to highlight. One, it's the fight of what does it mean to be a progressive? Is it a good government austerity type? Because when you look at the problems that we've had here in our city, in our state, I would make the argument it's been problems that have been exacerbated by austerity. Or does it mean in trying to give everyone a good, equal opportunity, right? That's something that we really need to find. Like, what do you mean by progressive? Do you mean that this means that you have this uh, political background, which is not in any way tied into any insiders or any of the establishment? Is that what makes a progressive? Or is it the economic policies? Because the way that I look at myself as a progressive means without a doubt, economics. And that's one of the things I have a lot of respect for Bernie Sanders for, for bringing that to the fore when in recent years you've had that push to the side. The second is an even more acute, even older debate, which goes back to how do you define a city? This is reflective of Jane Jacobs in New York City against Robert Moses, This was the, which came up here in Chicago with Rahm Emanuel, right? Do you define the city by its buildings, its built environment, or is it the people in it? And, you know, this is something that we've had in looking at, do we care about our brothers and sisters who live in the city? Are they also Chicagoans? Or do you have this contemptuous view like, well, we gotta get all the poor out of the city limits. And, you know, if they're down in Riverdale, we don't care about them because mm -hmm. we've pushed them out and there's these beautiful new townhomes we've built in their stead. How do you see this this uh, this this conflict between that that, that Dan was alluding to between what uh, good government types and old old school Democrats? I mean, it, it's certainly there's the, that's the, been the conflict for uh, time you know forever. Uh, 
But I and that but that is also why I do think focusing on economic issues is important. Not to say that uh, issues of of you know of rights and social justice things like that aren't as well. But I do think economics is a social justice issue. And uh, you know honestly, I think that uh, you know this is one of the things like we were talking about Obama when we were saying that. I think that, you know, if he had done a larger stimulus first, that's an economic issue. Or I think union rights are economic issues, honestly. And certainly health care is as well. But I think it's when you focus on the bread and butter issues and, and, and uh, you know, the economic, the financial side of things, that's, that's uh, you know, it, cross, it cuts across so many different lines. And Democrats, whether they're progressive or they're more of the old school, you know, whatever you want to call them, type of Democrats, I think everybody agrees on those issues for the most part. So... Uh, the social issues, I think everyone's evolved on those, and the Democratic Party is continuing to evolve on those, and there still are still disagreements on on, on some of that, those issues, sure. But I think if we focus on economics, I mean, that's 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 uh, that can unite a lot of us. And, and 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 furthermore, I think it's really important that we as as Democrats really uh, take up those issues because the I believe the weak underbelly of the Republican Party is about people getting jobs. There's a lot of issues which resonate among the Republican base, but if there's one issue that I believe that Republicans, in other words, their base, not the elites, not the people that run the party, it's helping people get a job. That's one of the reasons why you had, you know, Tucker Carlson is not exactly a, a friend or someone who ha- who shares our beliefs, but he was talking about some, some of the folks that he's friends with we're like, well, I'm either going to vote for Trump or Bernie because it's rigged. And these are NRA <laughs> card-carrying conservatives, right? Uh, <clears throat> NRA, because, because... What a choice. People, yeah. Well, but it's reflective <laughs> of, of, of where we're at and why, as I said, economics is the soft underbelly for the Republican base. And that's one of the reasons why I believe you had the Tea Party um, with the Koch-funded AstroTurf, you know, uh, uh, groups that wanted to make sure that there was no new New Deal. Because if that happened, you would have had it. I'd also like to remind folks that one part of um, part of uh, Steve Bannon's right program, Mm -hmm. you know, before Donald Trump really went with the Republican establishment was to have, you know, a New Deal type jobs program to try to solidify his own base of power because of the the that got the thrown rock, out the window it, real early, it, it, the it, infrastructure it, program. It did, but I just want to highlight that after decades of austerity from the right mm-hmm. and also from the left, you have had where people are desperate and people are hurting. I'll put it to you this way. Uh, young Peter Cunningham, who was on the show, and, uh, Pete, and I, Pete, we, Pete and I represent two different factions of the Democratic Party. I'm much more of a Bernie guy. And Pete is an insider. Uh, he worked for Rom. He's pals with Rom. He always go, Ben, I didn't actually work for him. All right, all right. Uh, but he worked for Daly. He worked for Arnie Duncan, et cetera. So he's definitely of the centrist type. Uh, and he was on this show. He's one of the few centrist types <laughs> who talks to me, but uh, love him dearly. Anyway, he was on this show. And he said, in his humble opinion, this falls in line with what you were saying, young Daniel, he said, in his humble opinion, that had Donald Trump followed up with his talk of an infrastructure program, like, and had really come through with that, with billions of dollars allocated to every state in the union to start 
you know, road repairs and viaduct repairs and train repairs and maybe train extensions and all the things that infrastructure programs would fund, he would be unbeatable. This oh, is Peter Cunningham's view. Unbeatable I, I in agree. this next election. Yeah. But the first thing yeah. he abandoned, the first yes. thing Donald Trump abandoned, this is what a fraud he is. The first thing <laughs> he abandoned was the one thing that would help the poorer people who voted for him, the more lower income people. And by the way, I'm not quite sure to say that Donald Trump's base is, as so many Democrat strategists say, is like a working class base. I have to part see of the it. numbers. It's part of it. Uh, well, it's part, but I would bet that if you take a look at the numbers, the majority of people who voted for Donald Trump. Trump in the, uh, the 2016 election were wealthier. Uh, I would guarantee you that the majority of folks in West Virginia that voted for Donald Trump were not wealthier. We'll have to take that look. We'll have to take that. There are some wealthy people uh, in West course, Virginia. Of course, course there are. Okay? But by and large, it's not a wealthy state. Or well, Kentucky. Or, you know, no, I, I, I understand that, uh, obviously, duh, that there or are people, working people who voted for Donald Trump. Because uh, he hated Hillary Clinton, or they liked how politically incorrect he was, or but they even loved if it's even TV let's show. say let's say it's a quarter of the Republican electorate. All right, there we go. Okay. Like, let, let's say it's a quarter of the Republican that's electorate. That's significant, yeah. right? That's that's significant. Where Democrats have a, a, a wide margin, a twenty point spread, right, sixty to forty. All right, so let's talk about this. What should the Democrats be doing? right now in your humble opinion investing in people investing in people that's when democrats win and not try to be like well uh okay uh so <laughs> sub point three section a yeah. uh so out of our committee uh we believe in social equality when someone lives in a certain zip code and when they live in this zip code we believe no you, you tune out you need to have passion you need to have belief um, this is one of the things that's made Republicans so effective. Um, I think that it would be great if we had more more Democrats who listened to the um, <clears throat> messaging abilities of, of people like Frank Luntz, right, who's done for the Republican side, right, uh, wonders in being able to coach Republicans in phrasing things in a way where people have accepted Republican policies, right, like the death tax and, and the like. We need to look at our own problems with messaging, which have led us to where we're at today. What do you think, Jacob? I agree. I mean, we're terrible at messaging. That's unfortunately been the case for Democrats forever. We're just not organized on it. We can't seem to, for whatever reason, formulate things uh, that uh, people can simply understand. I think Bernie's the best at it, honestly. He can put things together and make it simple and, and uh, stick to a message and things like that. But in general, Democrats aren't very good at that. And I, I do agree that it, we have to talk about what we're doing for regular everyday people and how we're going to make their lives better or we're not going to win. I, well, I, I'm gonna, that comes out of his passion, by the way. I'm, I was just going to say, I'm yeah. going to say this to Bernie Sanders. It's not just messaging, uh, Jacob, in my humble opinion. So he is. Bernie Sanders it, has been this Bernie Sanders from the get-go. He's never changed. He's never changed. His message hasn't changed. People believe in that message. And I think there's a sense of that the guy's the real deal. You may not like him, but he's not a phony. He's not saying one thing to one group and a different thing to another group and uh, watering it down if he gets in front of wealthy donors. No, no, no. Bernie is Bernie. And I think that comes across. That's how I view him anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think he is himself. And, and I think that's one of the other things, you know, that too many 
politicians and people oftentimes on the Democratic side try to stick to this uh, very politically correct, not politically correct, but just trying to be too scripted, too kind of sterile and all that. And Bernie is just himself. And I think if you're yourself, no matter what you believe, I think people will, even if they don't agree with what you're saying, they'll at least believe what you believe what you're saying. And you know, authenticity, that's one of the reasons yeah. why parts of the electorate ended up on the Republican side end up voting for Donald Trump. You know, the, and, and to this... The other day, Dennis and I were uh, listening to Jimmy Dore uh, take down uh, Bill Maher, right? Uh, Jimmy Dore is a left, far left of center uh, podcaster. And Bill Maher, of course, is uh, the comedian HBO with his own show. And uh, Bill Maher was chiding lefty Democrats saying, um, you're too far left. you gotta, you got to sort of sell, your, sell out a little bit and move to the center uh, to win an election. And because you have nowhere to go, you have to vote Democrat. Mara was saying that he was mocking lefty Democrats. And Jimmy Dore was saying, well, no, they could just not vote at all. I would flip it. Just nobody ever says this. Hey, centrist Democrats, you got to endorse Bernie Sanders if he's the nominee. Because you have nowhere to go. What are you going to vote for Donald Trump? You're going to vote for the womanizer? You're going to vote for the guy who destroys the environment? You're going to vote for the guy who lies and tries to extort uh, our allies? You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, you have to vote for Bernie Sanders, but it's always the equation is on the other side. You get what I'm saying? Lefty, shut up, sell yourself out, move to the right, and endorse the party's candidate. You never hear the equation on the other way. It does go centrist. both ways, or it should. It, it should, but yeah. I never hear in, it go yeah. both ways. In 2016, it was the passion gap that led us, partially, that led us to the outcome where Donald Trump won. And that was because of the fact that we had said, hey, we don't need to talk about economic issues, right? Those were put to the side, right? And it was just pure old centrism. And by simply talking about that, we ended up losing. And so that has to be part of that argument. When you have people that are NRA conservatives who are like, well, I'm going to vote for either Bernie Sanders <laughs> or Donald Trump, that tells you that that paradigm yeah. that people were selling you, well, you know, that it's just a simple spectrum of left and right, that's not applying right now to our politics because of austerity. Now, uh, I saw this story. This is a recycled story uh, from 2016. And when, when I heard you say that, uh, it was, I can't remember which columnist wrote this, but uh, there was an article that came out in 2016, I think from Slate, that talked about the, uh, the op what do they call it? Oppo research. Yeah. You know, you guys, are, they've run campaigns. So every campaign uh, has an oppo file, all the mm -hmm. dirt on the opposing uh, candidate. All right. And so some enterprising reporter did an oppo file on Bernie Sanders that you would see the Republicans use. And all like whacked out things that Bernie did back in the day in the 70s were in the oppo file. You know, lefty stuff like cavorting with uh, uh, communists or whatever. I don't even know what's in the Apple file, but I assume that's along the lines. I am of the opinion now that that's just so old baby boomer. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's yeah. like fighting a fight from 1970. Nobody cares anymore. How, how did that Apple file on Donald Trump work out? Didn't matter, right? Didn't matter at all. all <laughs> so you had at the end at election day, the Clinton campaign was very successful in having Donald Trump being seen as someone who was crazy and irrational, right? People who came out of the voting booths, if I remember the exit polls, I think it was like 20% of, of folks that still voted for the guy felt like, yeah, he's nuts. 
he's he's not all there and yet still voted for him Mm -hmm. the wrong argument was made and so will that oppo file matter if it didn't matter in the election of donald trump i you know i you gotta wonder though if if bernie is the nominee will all Trump will do is say this guy's a socialist, 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 communist, whatever, whatever. It'll be it'll be nonstop. That's true. Uh, I don't know what effect that'll have. Well, I don't. You know. He'll do that no matter who the Democratic <laughs> course, nominee is. And uh, like Obama, right? Obama. Yeah, they'll just. I was just talking to Ken about that. Uh, Ken Mejia Beal, who's running the 42nd district, he's very moderate uh, in uh, his rhetoric. Uh, he was just here on the show. And he's running in a very conservative, Republican-held uh, district in DuPage County. And he in no way sounds like me. Uh, he in no way sounds like young Daniel over there. He sounds like your basic DuPage Democrat. And yet, if he's the nominee, they will turn him in to the second coming of me. Okay. Sure, of course. <laughs> and it's, so it's like... Yeah. But the way that we fight this rhetorically yeah. is by having our own... Um, like messaging tropes that we need to come up with. So for example, one of the things that I am hopeful, you know what, I'm hopeful that someone listening to this will use this term, free market fundamentalist, right? So we live in a world which has gone amok with people that are just, you know, fundamentalists and in in the name of this or this are willing to harm other people. Mm -hmm. Free market fundamentalists, because that is in essence what these uh, uber libertarians who don't care about human suffering as long as we have free and efficient markets. Okay. And by by using rhetorical flourishes like that, like that's just another free market fundamentalist, you are able to effectively tag your opponent. So when it's like, well, you're a socialist, well, you're a free market fundamentalist, it's a different kind of rhetorical debate than when you have someone who's just simply like, I'm not a socialist, you're a socialist, I'm not a socialist. Mm-hmm. No, and and this gets back to when I was talking about us improving our messaging, right? We need to use um, rhetorical devices like free market fundamentalism to highlight how we are different than the Republicans and also the harm of their policies. All right, by the way, I would like to just say one thing before we move on from this topic that uh, I took notes on something you said, Dan. Very, I thought it was an astute point you made about good government types in the Democratic Party uh, versus economic uh types in the Democratic people who push for social programs. And one of the, my biggest, I wear two separate hats. I've been talking more and more about this as a, a reporter in this town for years and years. Uh, we were taught to analyze as objectively as you can the budgets that the people who run the city and this county and the state put out. And so I was taught that by the great John McDermott at the Chicago Reporter. And so when I, for years, I did TIF analysis about TIF deals and analyzing them from the point of view of transparency and the point of view of playing by the good government rules. And guess what? All the good government types in this city, including the people who write the editorials for the Chicago Tribune, whenever a Democrat is endorsing some kind of like a, a union plan that would help somebody, a working person or a poor people, oh my God, they're suddenly the greatest bean counters in the world and good government and we have to be transparent. But they, when it comes to a TIF handout to a well-to-do person who is really their base, oh, this is 
economic development. We're giving $2.3 billion, and a lot of it TIF dollars to Amazon. Not one word from the Chicago Tribune's editorial board about how inefficient that was, how about how untrans- untransparent that was, how about, how about we weren't even we weren't even allowed to see the documents, Jacob. We yeah. weren't allowed to see the documents because they had signed a, a consent agreement or something, a non-disclosure, non-disclosure. disclosure agreement. Somehow or other, mis- these people, when they want to stand up to a union negotiating a deal that might help a poor person, you know, they're all of a sudden the bean counter. So I don't really believe the good government types in this town, Dan. I don't believe them. They, I hear it, you. I mean, this gets back to not just here in, in Chicago. Do you remember the kind of venom people had when Obama put in the cash for clunkers program, which once again was a, was not only good from an ecological perspective, but also gave a leg up. So that was where if you had cars that were of a certain age, they were, that they were, um, the government gave you, I think it was $700, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. And this was part of the Obama stimulus package, right? And people thought this like it was the worst thing in the world. And it was such a, a small little handout. But once again, it got back to upsetting class balance and, and, helping out people that are poor. Mm-hmm. Because when you have these the same folks that had so much bile to attack this, they didn't care about the big handouts that were given as a result of tax reform. Yeah, no, this is a double standard. Not is Obama, a, by, by Trump. Yeah, it was a huge double standard. I saw it when Pat Quinn had, uh, at the end, the, that program, I forget what it was, uh, but it was like Hire Illinois or whatever it was. And the, oh my goodness, did the Republicans go crazy over that. But man, giving $2.3 billion to old boy uh, Bezos, oh, that's economic development. A poor guy in the South yeah. Side gets a job at minimum wage. Oh, what a waste, what a sham, huh? Hypocrisy. Bezos, $2.3 billion, woo, so, economic yeah. development. What does it mean to be a progressive? Yeah. This gets back to that. Like, what does it mean to be progressive? Does it mean that, like, your background, well, I have never been part of the Democratic establishment, or at least been perceived as part of that Democratic establishment, right? Like, oh, well, we come from a long line of people that were always at odds with the party establishment. Is that what makes you progressive? Or is it about trying to help out the poorest among us? Well, I think the word progressive, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is essentially a reaction, a defensive reaction by Democrats who are shamed to drop drop using the word liberal. Absolutely. Ronald Reagan pounded the word liberal and well, Democrats- That's why we need to pound. Well, Democrats well, got ashamed and embarrassed of the word liberal. Suddenly they weren't liberal anymore. They were calling themselves progressives. And uh, progressives in my book are just like you're saying, there's a magazine called The Progressive. So they're like, really like, you know, social Democrats. That's what a progressive is. Someone who is openly talking about divvying up the pie so it's more fairly allocated. I think that's not how it should be, but so many, everyone calls himself a progressive now. I mean, the term is so overused among everybody. And I guarantee you, you ask practically every presidential candidate on the Democratic side, they'll all say they're a progressive. I mean, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Maybe, I mean, it's, you know, it's terminology, so we can argue over this forever. But I it, I just, to me, the word doesn't mean much anymore. Means, does anybody call himself a liberal anymore? We should go back to that, maybe. So, I don't know. <laughs> but then remember, in Europe, liberal means a libertarian, which also has its own, you know, you read The Economist magazine, and they'll be talking about what liberal values mean. They mean something very different. But this also gets back to why we need to use those same devices. If Ronald Reagan is able to tag someone where where people that are on the left are ashamed of who they are, we need to go and find effective language that will do the same and make them feel that. Well, what is the effective language? Well, I, well, of course, I'm partial to it because it's, it's my creation, right? But free market fundamentalism, right? Have Republicans try to go away from, from that stereotype, which is true. You look at different sections of the country, 
economic policies which devastate people and cause hurt, real hurt, people dying because of a fanaticism to having markets be as free as possible. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, to me, that's a sickness. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a fundamentalism where you're talking about really harming people, right? Because, well, you know, if the government <laughs> were to get involved and have a price control on insulin, you know, it sounds good, but it would really go in the market. And then you're like, but look at people. There are people that are paying $300 for a vial of insulin, which is even more insulting because the person that originally came up with it didn't want to profit off of it and gave it for free. And so if to you, the value of having a free and unfettered market is more than having a poor, a middle-class person being able to have a little vial of insulin for less than $300, that is crazy. And that's the kind of point you have to hit home rhetorically with language like that. You got any suggestions, Jacob, on this front? <laughs> I think Dan has uh, pretty much nailed it. <laughs> I, mean, I, I yeah. would like to see Democrats get to the point uh, where you would see Republicans stop calling themselves conservative. Like they're embarrassed to call themselves conservatives. When I see but they're not even when I see Democrats rushing to call themselves progressives because they're ashamed to call themselves liberals, even when they're they fit the category, the classic category of a liberal. I mean, most of Lori Lightfoot's base, if you will, on North Side, that's a liberal classic base. Well, they're you know they're uh, liberal uh, on social issues. They believe in choice. Uh, they want more a little more environmental control, but not too much that it you know interferes with their life. Uh, but, uh, and, uh, you know, they want some gun control, uh, but they are a little concerned about unions asserting too much authority. That's a classic liberal. They don't want a tough fight. You know what I mean? And, uh, so they, but they embarrassed to call themselves liberals. So they call themselves progressives. Even it's no meaning. We're going to, yeah. uh, take a break. We're <laughs> One little thing. Cause you had mentioned you'd like Republicans to stop being, uh, concerned to, be afraid. Be ashamed, no, be, be ashamed of being conservative. But what's, what's conservative about being a reactionary to the point you want to get rid of the New Deal? That's extremely radical. And so there's nothing conservative about trying to dis, disembowel whatever social protections we have. All right, we're going to take a brief break, come back, talk a little Louis Arroyo and impeachment. We're right back with the political know-it-alls. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Well, there's also criticism, Stacy, about the you, that you guys did not emphasize special ed enough and quickly enough. That's a real big point, point of Absolutely contention. Absolutely it is. Look, Rom and Forrest Claypool destroyed special education to the point of where there is uh, a state mandated monitor um, figuring out special education. Um, and what we were able to do with this contract is uh, rebuild infrastructure, to be perfectly honest with you. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. Oh, Ben, Evanston. You love Evanston. Love Evanston. 
And uh, let's see, the evening classes are held on the Los campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. And you can learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. That's sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Political know-it-alls, Jacob Kaplan, Dan Post, Chelsea in the studio. We're going to switch to Louis Arroyo and close with impeachment. Before we do that, you got an update for me, D? Uh, just a few things here. First off, uh, Jacob Kaplan, our guest, he's a Whitney Young Dolphin, so we got to give, uh, give the Dolphin salute there. <laughs> All right. Nice. All right. right. You're welcome. He was talking to me about it before the show. And also, Dan Pogoshelski. As we all know, if you're familiar with these two fellas, Dan Pogoshelski. When do I get to do a wedding on the air? Oh, my God. On the air. There we go. That'd be incredible. A podcast wedding. Uh, But Dan Pogoshelski, he's an ordained minister. All right. And he always twists my arm before he comes on the show. Fine. I'll do it, Dan. I'll do it. Here we go. Looking to tie the knot with the one you love? Well, no one ties a knot better than Dan Pogoshelski. Better than a Boy Scout. If you're looking to marry the one you love, there's only one question. Danny P., will you marry me? Dan Pogoshelski, licensed ordained minister. Uh, there you go, buddy. Yeah. Never gets old. It never gets uh, old. <laughs> Only been doing that for two and a half years. And uh, yeah. by the way, Steve Lessman, I ran into him, and he told me to tell you hello. Tell Steve. Come on, can I give him a big hug, Stevie Lessman, the Steve the Ad Sound? He's a dolphin. Uh, all right, now uh, Louis Arroyo, State Representative Louis Arroyo, has uh, stepped down. Uh, he was from the Northwest side and Dave Feller already announced he's going to be yes. running. Dave Feller is a frequent guest in the show with part of the Northwest political know-it-alls, uh, the combination <laughs> with Jamie Andrade. Yes. Those two guys, when they come in the studio, can I just tell you this? They, they're like always 10 minutes late. Why? Because they stop off at the snack room in the sun. <laughs> oh man, oh, man, potato chips. <laughs> there you go. And they come in here and then they open them. They drive that as not. Don't open the potato. Huh? <laughs> I love him dearly, but yep, man, yep. So, uh, um, yes, I just thought this was brilliant. We all know yesterday was Halloween uh-huh. and, uh, Mr. Feller got petition collection down to a science where children come up to the door, ring the doorbell. Of course they're with their parents. Kids get candy. The parent with the kid asked, do you perhaps live in the area? If yes, then you're asked to know, did you know that your state representative was just arrested? (laughs) And if so, or if not, would you care to sign my petition to be on that ballot? That is just signed. That's okay. so Chicago. Like, yeah. That's oh, that's a shoot, true Chicago. Well, you forgot the other part of that where he puts at the bottom. Uh, you guys got any uh, Reese's peanut butter cups? I love the yeah, right. <laughs> Feller loves Reese's peanut butter. Right, he worked guys. for Obama for for yes, almost a decade. Yes, he did. Uh, all right. Louis Arroyo, state representative, got arrested. Uh, apparently, he was uh, t- taped by a state senator who's not been identified officially, as far as I know. All signs point to Terry Link. All signs point to Terry Link. But he, for what, for the record, he denied it when the Tribune contacted sure. him. He I said, think he probably has to deny it right now if he's still cooperating with the feds. Yeah. 
Oh, I didn't thought of that. Yeah. That's why he's a know-it-all. He's a know-it-all, and I'm a wannabe know-it-all. All right, he's still denying it for the feds. By the way, do we know if Dr. D has a wire here? We're all wired up. We're all wired here on the Ben Jarofsky show. Dr. D wearing a wire. Oh, my God. All the embarrassing things I've said to him for the last three years, if it ever came out. I went a little cheaper than Royal. I'm getting 700 a month. Royal 20. Five hundred. Uh, that's what was, what was. No, he was going to pay the other guy twenty five hundred. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the other dude was wearing the wire, and maybe it was State Senator Link. We'll see. Uh, mm-hmm. All all signs point to it. Uh, when is this ever going to end, Young Jacob? I hope it ends because I think it, it it obviously makes everybody in politics look bad, and it's it's just it's ridiculous when people breach the public trust and do stuff like this just out of greed. And then yeah. they make everybody look bad because there are good people in politics. And it just, yeah. this is what fosters this attitude. It's like, throw out the bombs, they're all corrupt. It's when stuff like this happens. So the idea that people still think they can get away with this trash in a time when everything's on tape and everything's, everyone's got a phone or, you know, everybody it's can record you. you. I just, I don't understand why people still do this stuff. It's just stupid, honestly. I, I concur. I mean, you know, he, this is the embodiment of every single stereotype that people look at people that are involved in politics in a negative light. There are assumptions like, oh, well, if you're involved in politics, you're doing this and this and this. And for the vast majority of people, that is not the case. And then you have someone like this gentleman, and all of a sudden it's like, thanks for making us look badass. Yeah, well, let me just say, and in particularly bad, and I'm gonna speak from my heart, I've been a Democrat my whole life. I've said this many times, I cannot recall the last Republican I voted for. I think it may have been Alex Seath in 1970. No, Chuck Percy running against Alex Seath in 1978 before anybody in this room was born. So that's how long I have to go back. But my Democratic Party is always looking bad in the Chicago area. There's just so much corruption. Uh, and you're right, most the politicians don't don't do this stuff. shaking people down. But it's the, it makes everybody look bad, yeah. these cases, you know? But, so, uh, well, there's just, just a saying, you know, it's funny, Louis Arroyo, I was just going to reflect for a moment <laughs> just here. Louis Arroyo, I was on my old show. I think I'd said this before when he got uh, arrested and he was running against Tony Preckwinkle. I was reminding this, uh, Jacob for party chair uh, for party chair after Joe Berrios, uh, stepped down and, uh, he was promising reform and this and that and the other <laughs> thing and blah, 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 et cetera, and so forth. And I'm thinking, well, he wasn't wearing the wire at the t- It was the other yeah. guy that was wearing yeah. the wire. But it just, I'm like, you dude, man. Yeah. You were shaking these people down and coming on the radio and going, I believe in reform, blah, blah. Yep. Just more hypocrisy. More hypocrisy. So, <laughs> Ubi et mea. Oh, where's mine? Yeah. Yeah, man. From? Mike Royko, man. Come on. Come you can't quiz this guy. I think he's not going to know that. Uh, that's <laughs> correct. <making> sure. <laughs> that's correct. All right. Uh, and we'll conclude with impeachment, uh, which is, you know, an ongoing thing. The next time you come in here, we'll be talking about it obsessively. I've already been talking about it obsessively. With We had Jim Coogan, and we have a bonus with Jim Coogan on this, uh, Attorney Jim Coogan on this uh, subject. Monroe Anderson was in here, uh, T.B. Buchanan. Fractured House backs impeachment inquiry. I'll put this to you in, in partisan terms, uh, gentlemen. The vote was 232 to 196 in Congress to approve rules and oversight for the uh, uh, impeachment proceedings of Donald John Trump. And 
all Republicans, as in A-L-L, all Republicans voted against the impeachment inquiry. All but two Democrats, uh, two uh, swing district Democrats uh, voted uh, for the impeachment inquiry. So there's no, nothing even remotely resembling a bipartisanship. The, the accusations of Donald, against Donald Trump for wrongdoing in shaking down the Ukrainian president are so real. And so many Republican types have come forth to uh, accuse him of this. And yet not one Republican would dare to vote for the impeachment proceedings. That'd be like all the Democrats standing up and saying, despite the evidence that Rob Blagojevich was, or his campaign was trying to shake down uh, the Obama campaign for that appointment. Or Luis uh, Arroyo. Or Luis Arroyo. Yeah. yeah, it seems as though corruption is a, a just a one-way street. Only the Democrats have to confront the reality of corruption. Republicans, they just say the prosecutors are corrupt. There's something wrong with the prosecution. That's it's why a witch we hunt. need to go in there with our phones and cameras during these top secret depositions, right? Yeah. So, how do you think this is going to play out? What's your early prediction? I, I mean, I, I think it's terrible, honestly. I mean, there. I guess there, you can say there was one Republican who voted for him. He's no longer a Republican. He's an independent. Justin Amash. That just Michigan. proves my point. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's, it's ter- As we talk about again and again, the Republican Party has just thrown in their lot. They're like, we're all in with Trump. We don't care. We're just going to do whatever it takes to, to try to save this guy's presidency because he's giving them what they want in terms of, you know. The judges. The judges and, and other things. So they don't care. They don't care about... Uh, the 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 uh, you know the importance of upholding the union and and not interfering not having foreign powers interfere in our election apparently they don't care so it's it's we just have to go forward as Democrats and and expose the facts and and fight this fight and and see what happens but I mean that's our duty at this point yeah. I mean I think it, it would have been nice to have some Republicans vote for the impeachment inquiry uh, but. That's just the nature of the partisan, the extreme partisan uh, uh, world we're living in right now. And uh, I unfortunately don't see that changing. Uh, There's going to be, I'm sure, more explosive testimony coming out and going forward due to this vote. I mean, a lot of this testimony is going to be in the open now. Mm -hmm. So I think there's going to be some incredibly explosive news days, crazier than we've seen so far. So maybe that'll make some of them have second thoughts, especially those that are in... uh, you know, districts that are iffy, uh, but I don't know. Well, it's it's very depressing, honestly. Yeah, what I'm actually curious of is to see what happens if uh, Republicans end up coming to a point like uh, like uh, happened with Nixon, where they're like, "We're going to impeach you, so you better resign." I what happens? What, I, I I I I hear you, but what happens in that situation? Well. Uh, the great Meredith Shiner, who was a guest on this uh, show, a, a longtime uh, Washington, D.C. correspondent, and uh, she's moved into the private sector, but she predicted that time will come when Donald Trump will be so embarrassing uh, and so controversial that uh, Republicans running for re-election in swing states will turn to Mitch McConnell and say, I, I have to vote no, and that Mitch McConnell will uh, then turn against Trump if only to hold on to his power in the Senate. That was her prediction. I have a hard time seeing it. 
Uh, I, we're going to watch this one unfold, gentlemen, and we'll leave it there. Uh, young Daniel Pogoshelsky, Jacob Kaplan, the political know-it-alls, thank you so much. It's a, it's a blast talking politics with you. Once a month you come on the show. Uh, Ken Mejia Beal, he's running for state rep in the 42nd District, Jeannie Ives District. He's a Democrat running out there. And Rumana Hussein, uh, Rumana Rundown, every Friday in the Ben Jarofsky Show. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, back home as Daniel and Jacob no, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you on Tuesday, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download podcasts. Downloaders. We live stream this show, and we have gone three, count them three, days in a row with no technical difficulties on the live stream. We're moving up in the world. Check it out at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel, and uh, yeah, that's it. We didn't uh, do the live stream on Facebook. We'll get back on Facebook. Don't worry. We'll see everybody on Tuesday.